So if you have been worshiping with us here at the Southeast Raleigh table over the last couple of weeks, you know that we are in what is called the season of Easter. Um, there is something really beautiful about uh, the reality that not only on April 9th, for those of you who were gathered in this place on Easter Sunday, but that for 50 days we get to live into a season where we keep our eyes on a body not only crucified, but we keep our eyes on a body that is raised, recognizing that throughout the 50 days of Easter, we tell each other over and over and over again that there is this power in our lives that disrupts death, that disrupts oppression, that disrupts injustice, that disrupts our feelings of imposter syndrome, that disrupts our insecurities, this power that is called resurrection that is always making things new. So on the first um, Sunday of Easter, we got to hear about these women who kept their eyes on Jesus' body. They were not going to abandon the body because the body that they saw crucified was also a body that they got to see bear witness to life. On the second Sunday of, of Easter, our dear sister Kiana preached about how peace came to us bearing wounds, but also peace also came bearing witness that we need not be afraid and that when we are afraid, Christ will come and be with us. Last Sunday, our dear sister Heather preached about creation justice out of Psalm 116, that not only are we redeemed when we keep our eyes on Jesus, recognizing that the brokenness in our lives can also be put back together, but that all of creation might know the redeeming of God and that we get to participate in the stewardship of making this world whole. This morning, we're going to rest in a passage of scripture that is actually the hallmark or the anchor scripture of the Southeast Raleigh table as we get to hear Jesus declare that Jesus is attached to life, comma, life more abundantly. You will see in just a little while, while this is the passage of scripture, that um, we as the Southeast Raleigh table chose to be the thesis for how we show up in the world. So hear now these words in John chapter 10, beginning with the first verse and ending with the 11th verse. And scripture tells us this, very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and abandoned. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. And hear this, this verse. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life, and have it abundantly. I am the Good Shepherd. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
So I'm not going to say it's a scam of a question, but I'm going to say that it's a not so helpful question that we oftentimes hear people ask us, and I have even been guilty of asking this particular question, and that is this, what do you do for a living? When, I, when we ask that question, what are we trying to ask? Okay, this is not hypothetical. You can say it out loud. <laughs> I have no gift cards for the right answer. When we ask, what do you do for a living? What are we asking? Your job. <laughs> to ask that question, what do you do for a living, is basically to reduce living to what we do to get a W-9. And here's what's even the irony of that, is that sometimes when you get that W-9, that W-9 doesn't even reflect the living wage. But ultimately, the reason why that question is one that I might invite us maybe to lay down from asking other people is that it limits and reduces the power and the dynamism of what it means to really live. What it means to build a life. And I might even say that that question in some ways is even at odds with how we understand what it is to live a Christ-shaped life. What if our response instead to what do you do for a living is, uh, is that, oh, because of the one who is life and resurrection, I live for a living. We have mentioned a quote by St. Irenaeus who said that um, the glory of God is humankind fully alive. Turn to someone and just say, fully alive. <laughs> the glory of God is each and every one of us living fully alive. Harnessing not just what we do, but how we be in this world. <laughs> And I might say that living fully alive is because at the core of who Jesus is, it is for us to live and to live fully. Because when we keep our eyes on the body, like the women kept their eyes on the body when Jesus was crucified and laid in a tomb, they also got to bear witness to this body and its life. So living the fullness thereof, living like our lives are threatened by resurrection, fulfills the mission of Christ. Living the fullness thereof, living like our lives are threatened by resurrection, fulfills the mission of Christ. Because in John chapter 10, verse 10b, Jesus says this, I came that we might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus says, my, my, my mission, my vision, the reason why I am here is so that you can live fully alive. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let me pause here to talk about um, John 10, 10b in context of the first 11 verses in John chapter 10. John's um, gospel uses a lot of metaphors. In fact, sometimes as seminarians, we'll say that John's gospel is like the Yoda of, of the gospels. Everything is always in like a, a, a parable or some type of symbol or sign. And here it is that um, Jesus is referred to, or Jesus refers to um, himself as a good shepherd. 
which has um, some undertones of Psalm 23, where we hear that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that this shepherd makes sure that we, uh, we are provided for, that we do not have to fear, that even in the presence of our enemies, that good things might come to us, that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives because of the ways in which this shepherd shepherds and stewards our lives. So Jesus is saying something about himself when he says, I, I am the good shepherd. And Jesus, um, as he talks about what it looks like for a shepherd that is trustworthy, taking care of sheep, shares with his disciples that because this shepherd is good and because this uh, shepherd um, is um, so caring for the sheep, that the sheep attune their lives, they attune their ears to the voice of this shepherd, recognizing that this shepherd will not do them harm. In contrast, in Luke 10, excuse me, in John chapter 10, Jesus talks about a thief or a bandit. That the thief or the bandit has to like hop over the gate. The thief or the bandit doesn't have relationship. The thief or the bandit does not mean good for the sheep, but instead harm for the sheep. And Jesus says, because of this, the sheep will not go with strangers. Stranger danger. <laughs> we don't rock with the thief. And then in verse 10, which is this beautiful passage of scripture that we hold on to in this particular church community, Jesus says this, the thief, the bandit, the enemy, depending on which translation you might be reading, comes only, comes only, meaning that the thief, the bandit, the enemy is not play play, comes only to steal, kill, or destroy, comma, though there's no commas in the Greek, comma, I have come that you may have, may have life and have it abundantly. Now here's the thing about um, this contrast of the thief and the bandit who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says that I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Some of us might have grown up in church communities where we always understood that life more abundantly, meaning one day when I die and I go to heaven in that great getting up yonder, that's when I'm going to know abundant life. But Jesus wasn't talking about once we got our wings. Jesus means in the here and now, in the here and now, I have come that you might know abundant life. If in the here and now you know what it's like to be robbed from, to be stolen from, and to be destroyed and to be killed, in the here and now, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and you might also know it to the full. That's why this particular passage of scripture is the hallmark, the anchor of our community. It's why our community is shaped by a passage of scripture that always falls in the season of Easter when we believe that our lives and the world are threatened by the resurrection power of Jesus. It's to remind us that over and over again, in the here and now, we do not perform life, we live life. And that in the here and now, we can live life that are full and abundant and alive and compelling. Lately, over the, the course of um, the last month, I have had people in my, in my spheres who are younger than me who have died. Some of them who have died suddenly, some of them who have died very tragically. 
And I do not believe in, in, in fearing people into living. I think that's such, such a bad thing to do. But I don't think there's anything wrong with being a part of a community who helps me to know that while I am living for me to really live, I get to celebrate life and life more abundantly in the here and now because we say this is what we do. It's why um, our hashtag at the Southeast Raleigh table is life giving life. When people talk about peace instead of violence in their lives, when they love well, we say, oh, they, they're showing us peace abundantly. When people tell me that they called somebody up and they said, I'm sorry, or they received uh, the forgiveness of others, we believe in grace more abundantly in the here and now. When visions come to pass, people are writing books or they launch a business, life more abundantly. When, when we are celebrating, I call them fire marshal Sundays, when this space is so filled to the brim, connection abundantly. When we're eating at transfer or downstairs in the commons, when we're singing melodies from heaven, life more abundantly. Even in the loop this last week, we asked you to send us pictures of you living life abundantly. Do you know you all, I mean, probably barely got to the bottom of the loop and you were already sending us Photographs of yourself, of your grandchildren, of people bringing children into the world as doulas. Because we are so committed to life and life more abundantly. We take it seriously that Jesus not only makes a declaration about himself, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly, but we also hear Jesus' declaration as an invitation to do something counter to the invitations that the world might issue us. Because on the other side of life, friends, is the reality of powers that only come to steal, kill, and destroy. The thing about John chapter 10, 10b, is that it is preceded by John chapter 10, a. Over and over again in John's gospel, probably this is the only gospel that does this, Jesus speaks of himself as an alternative. The bread that you ate in the wilderness, you're gonna be hungry again. But I am the bread of heaven. If you feast on me, you will never be hungry. Okay, this well that you come to that you're drawing the water from, one day again, it's gonna be dry. It's, you know, it's not like aqua, whatever we drink. Um, I am the living water. If you drink of this water that I give, you will never thirst again. So Jesus is saying that I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly because I also know that the world might try to sell you a thing that robs you of life, that destroys life, that steals life from you. 
but we're not doing that over here. I don't have time to go really deeply into like um, the thief, bandit, enemy, and, and, and how we might translate um, what that means in this passage of scripture. What I will only say is this, is that whether on a spiritual level or on a systemic level, the thief, the enemy, and the bandit, bandit should be understood as anything that is com more committed to death than life. And we need to also know this, that that only is incredibly important because sometimes the thief, the bandit, and the enemy tries to give um, this illusory package that what it's offering up might actually be okay. You know, if we have more guns, it will make us safer. It, 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 has, a, it has a way of like talking slick of making you think, okay, maybe if I have that kind of power, I really can be safer. Versus the invitation that I have come, peace be with you, that it might actually be shalom that will turn everything around. When we baptize children, when we join the church, we answer this particular question, do you accept the power and the freedom that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Basically, will you divest from the tools of death because we are people who invest and hold on to the tools of life? Jesus is offering an alternative to the way in which the world operates. but it doesn't only mean something about us living fully alive. Because we can't be over here living our best lives if we're not also engaged and involved in the things that keep other people from living life and life more abundantly. Realities that come to steal, kill, and destroy for our neighbors, we're not okay with that. Because what we do for a living here at the Southeast Raleigh table is about being about that life. And we're about that life in the here and now. I don't want someone to have to wait for the many mansions. I want people to have affordable housing now. We keep our eyes on the body because the body bears witness to life. And this body that bears witness to life says that he has come so that we can have life and life to the full in the here and now. So we're going to be people who do not yoke ourselves to the things that threaten us with death. But we're going to be the people who align ourselves with the things that are threatened by resurrection. I pray that when people ask you, what do you do for a living? We live. We live. Because when we say we live, it will expose all of the things that keep us from life. Will you pray with me?
Gracious God, we do give you thanks and praise for the declarations that are also invitations, for the ways in which you are calling us into a life, comma, life more abundantly. And sometimes, God, the very first thing that has to shift is our imagination about what life abundant looks like so that we don't ever settle on something that's too small or too insignificant, but that we would believe with our breathing, our waking, our living, our connecting, our loving days, that we can know life in all of its fullness. That as we bear witness to your life in the midst of our lives, we too can bear witness to living fully alive in our lives. That we might live fully alive so that others might experience full life. So that all the world might reflect the glory of God. God, would you shape our imagination to believe that more peace more grace, more love, more goodness is possible in the here and now, and that we might be a community that so reflects life, giving life, that others might believe that you are resurrection and life. We pray this, O oh God, in the strong name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.